Today, I was in an interesting position having sat down with Gabby Libovich, who is an Israeli-Australian, has spent uh, the bulk of his life actually over in Australia, me sitting in Tel Aviv interviewing him. But for those in Australia, he's very well known. He effectively built the entire e-commerce ecosystem or marketplace system uh, in Australia. So he built a company called catch.com.au. I didn't invite you all to check it out. He's released a book recently called Catch of the Decade, where he talks about the 200 lessons he's learned in building and exiting more than a billion dollars worth of exit value across multiple companies. Uh, it was an honor to have him on and really cool to hear effectively the Australian insight through the eyes of an Israeli on what is going on in the space in Australia and his position on what it is to hustle through and build a scaled up business and, and effectively exit it. So again, enjoy guys and let me know what you think. Welcome to Successful Scales, the show where I talk to world-class professionals on what it takes to scale successful businesses. I dive deep asking questions to people who are running unicorn businesses, to raising funds, to buying businesses, mergers and acquisitions, IP and patent law, what is to manage performance management. I mean, the list goes on. The idea really is how do I create knowledge and learning for you guys listening in? And of course, myself getting the floor with people who I, in many cases, would never dream to share a room with. Before we jump into the episode, I've got to give a special thank you to our sponsors. Firstly, over at Global Wide Advisors, a leading digital consumer products investment bank focused on optimizing the sales process. An incredible team, always happy to pick up the phone and educate you or anyone about the sales process and what you should really consider and can obviously help take you to market or even acquire businesses. I ring them for just about everything these days. Us over at Multiply Me, we are the end-to-end executive search and HR function into the Philippines, helping find better talent and onboarding them effectively. And last but not least, Escala, our management consultancy focused on process improvement, where we help build better systems for your business. That's all the ads you're going to get from me, ladies and gentlemen. The rest is all about learning. I hope you really enjoy and get as much out of these sessions as I do sitting face-to-face with some of the world-renowned leaders in their respective fields, asking them the tough questions that they're not often asked. Gabby, welcome to an episode of Successful Scales, mate. How are you doing? Uh, nice to be with you, Yoni. Uh, I've done a lot of podcasts in Australia, but never one based in Tel Aviv. And considering I'm uh, Israeli-born, I'm looking forward to this one. Well, it's uh, it's an honor to have you. And I'm uh, excited to be the first outside of Australia, even though I have the accent. It's been a long time since I was there. So, uh, yeah, happy happy to have you, mate. Get you on the uh, global scale. Where you... I'm an Israeli living in Australia, and you're an Australian living in Israel. <laughs> it's the... So, uh... <laughs> Your audience can definitely uh, spot the accent. I'm the one with the strong Israeli one. It's so funny. It's like every time, every time my dad comes here, he's Israeli. Uh, every time he comes here and he's speaking English, people are like, oh, my God, you've got the perfect Australian accent. I'm like, I don't, I don't know if you're hearing this correctly. Um, but I think that's one of the things, being a native speaker and hearing someone who spent a long time abroad, they lose touch with, like, what is, what is the right accent? Yep. But anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about today. Today, we're here to talk about you, about growing businesses and a lot of what it takes. And, you know, I read a little bit about uh, your book, Catch of the Decade. And for me, it's really exciting to see sort of the, the hustler, really, who made it into something enormous and is really or has been at the forefront of what is e-commerce inside of Australia. So 
I mean, you're going to do a much better job in explaining all the incredible accolades that you've achieved across your career. So for those who don't know you, and I know this is the first one outside of Australia that you're doing, I'd love you to, to give me the spiel. Tell me a little bit about your history and your experience for those listening. Yeah, so quite unusual. The brands that uh, we have built in Australia are very much household brand, and I never have to elaborate uh, anything more than saying, uh, you know, the name of it, but uh, I'll try and do it for the Israeli and American audience. Uh, my name is Gabi Leibovich. I'm 51 years old. I left Israel when I was uh, 16, so I uh, lived in Melbourne for the last uh, 35 years. Together with uh, my younger brother, Hezi, who is uh, six years younger than me, we have, uh, you know, the title of our book is How to Launch, Build and Sell a Digital Business. So we have launched, built and, uh, and sold uh, a number of digital businesses. And the interesting thing, Yoni, is that we've done it in quite a few different uh, segments and, and categories of, uh, of the digital economy. Uh, our first and uh, most well-known business is called uh, catch.com.au. Uh, initially launched as Catch of the Day back in uh, 2006. Uh, and prior to that, we actually uh, did it uh, in our garage at home, uh, selling on uh, eBay. Taking you back to 2006, uh, not many people were shopping online uh, in Australia. Um, and uh, we can certainly be, be, be called, uh, you know, Australian pioneers of, uh, of, of, of digital and, uh, and e-commerce. Catch of the Day had a very interesting concept in the early days whereby uh, we sold a single item only. So imagine a site that you log on at uh, midday, 12 in the afternoon, and uh, on the page you will only see uh, one item. Uh, it could be a DVD player, a, a pillow, uh, a toy, or, or a Manchester product. Uh, the product is available at a very limited price and at the most likely the best price available uh, in the country on that day. Uh, through this simple and crazy concept that many people did not believe uh, would succeed, we managed to build Australia's much, most watched uh, online shopping site. Uh, over the next few years, the concept has evolved uh, and today it is a, a marketplace uh, selling about 3 million uh, products. Uh, we have sold the business, uh, Yoni, at the worst time ever to sell an e-commerce business in, uh, in August of 2019, about six months before Corona. And we missed the whole exciting period of 10-week uh, growth over a 10-week period and so on. We can talk about that later on. Uh, over this decade, and the name of the book is Catch of the Decade, we also managed to build a business called Scoopon. For your audience, it's the equivalent to Groupon. I'm not going to elaborate on that. And we're also pioneers of another uh, segment that got a massive uh, headwind during uh, COVID, and that's food delivery. Uh, to your Israeli audience, that's uh, Walt. Uh, the Americans know exactly what it is. Uh, and in Australia, we managed to build a business called uh, Eat Now. And it now ended up merging in 2015 with the market leader and the only player at the time called Menulog. Uh, it now and Menulog ended up selling as well in the middle of 2015 to uh, Just Eat, uh, a Dutch and English-based company. And uh, Just Eat is also the owner of the Israeli business Tenbis. They actually have the same uh, orange logo. Uh, we currently are investors in uh, various digital businesses. Uh, our largest one to date is a company called Luxury Escapes. 
that we ended up merging our business scoop on with luxury escapes is uh is an australian leader in uh travel deals something along the lines of hadaka uh, tishim in israel and and many others i'm not that familiar with the market uh looking forward to the skies opening i just read an article that fiji will be hopefully opening on the 1st of november and there's a massive pent up demand for travel and this is going to be another massive uh, you know billion dollar business uh, that is in the making i'm going to take a break and have a drink and pass you the microphone well i'll say um just like the conversations we've had previously you know super super humble and understated in terms of your your achievements you know you you tend to skim through and, and jump through it i mean i get to speak to a lot of people who had started on eBay, went to Amazon, built decent sized businesses. But, you know, I read in the book about a billion dollars in exit value across all the businesses. So, you know, for those who don't know Gabi, it's uh, it really, you really are, you and Hezi are really pioneers of the Australian e-commerce uh, landscape and building of digital assets. And uh, to be honest, you know, when I'm sat trying to talk to most Australian businesses in the startup space it's it's tenly uh, it tends to be uh, a slower uptick you know there's like a a, a buying culture of uh, it's not a scarcity mindset but it's just it's slow adoption uh, i wouldn't say that australia has a very fast adoption rate and so obviously there's value in the market in terms of what can be done um but i'm really curious uh when you when you started on ebay you know, and you were selling out of the garage to having, you know, four, five, six, seven businesses now investing in several businesses. I mean, what was the, what was the initial game plan? Like what was the initial game plan and the mindset of getting on eBay? And then how has that sort of shifted across, you know, the last 10 plus years? Look, it all started by area. In many, in many terms, I described myself and my brother as the accidental entrepreneurs. So prior to launching on eBay back in 2003, four from uh, you know, a tiny unit in Melbourne, I was working in a, in a, in a retail store selling electronics, you know, um, uh, similar to a JB Hi-Fi or good guys in Melbourne or similar to, a, I don't know what, Machsanei Hashmal in Israel. Uh, <laughs> Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I visit. I visit there uh, pretty regularly. <laughs> yeah. So uh, selling electronics, and I remember the first person that showed me eBay very early days of uh, online shopping. If you remember back in those days, uh, the first question you received from a consumer was, "Is it safe to put your credit card online?" And um, the most common response we got from a supplier as I was driving my van to uh, try and introduce the business was. Where is your retail outlet? Where is your shop? And uh, when we told them we don't have a shop, we sell online, the, the most common response was, sorry, we only sell to people that have a physical retail outlet. Uh, how funny or sad uh, you know, that is right now as we are um, hopefully reaching the end of COVID and we've just spent a year and a half in various uh, versions of lockdowns across the ocean uh, that, uh, yeah, no one wanted to open us uh, you know, an account because we didn't have a retail outlet and e-commerce is, is definitely taking over the world right now. Why did we do it? Because uh, we simply had to put a foot on the table. <laughs> I had a six-month-old baby at the time when I started and, uh, and I keep saying, you know, I, I had absolutely no other options. Uh, I studied computer science at Monash Uni, but uh, I uh, straight away knew that this is not for me. I am not a techie by nature. 
but I've always loved buying, selling, trading, selling in Melbourne markets, selling in shopping centers, retail outlets, etc. And uh, luckily, digital and uh, and commerce collided back then, and we were just there at the right place at the right time. You know, call it mazal, luck, uh, or anything that you like. But uh, the best time ever was to, to launch an e-commerce business was probably in 2006. And the second time ever is probably today, Yoni. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, there's, there's definitely uh, changing landscapes. And, you know, when you talk about today, for sure, you know, you, you mentioned it was probably the worst time to sell a business. On one hand, yes. On the other hand, the absolute headaches that are happening right now when it comes to global distribution, supply chain issues, the price of freight, everything that's actually going on right now. I mean, the clients we deal with, it's an absolute nightmare. Um, so, you know, I don't know, the grass is up and green of it. Yeah, definitely, uh, definitely seeing sort of what's happening in the global market. A way to summarize it is probably to say it's probably the easiest time to launch a business, but probably the hardest period to scale a business to be able to get to a thousand customers, a million customers, 10 million customers, because you are playing against, uh, you know, Amazons of industry right now, uh, no matter what space you are at. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like I said, I've read a little bit of your book. I'm not going to lie and say I've read the whole thing yet. Uh, I'm, I'm disappointed, Tony. <laughs> I was hoping you would. <laughs> I'll get there. I'll get there, you know. Um, it's more important to sit here and get to, to get all That's the cool. feedback and answers straight from the horse's mouth from the uh, audience here. So, Mike, you know... As you've gone through this process and as you're evolving the business, you know, you move from, and, you know, I did read the start of it. So the one thing that I really took from it is that you really do have that hustle mentality of, you know, let's do the deals, let's put the work in, let's really, you know, let's turn up and let's get it done. You know, that was very much at the forefront of sort of the starting for a lot of people looking to scale businesses, you know, there's a very, there's a paradigm shift that needs to happen when you start to move into that scale up mode. And so my, my consideration or the thing that I'm always cognizant of is like, at what moment in time when you started Catch of the Day, did you realize that you actually had an idea that was an idea that people truly loved and it was time to actually start pushing it and turning the wheels than that you know, this is scale-up time. We're no longer in startup mode. Yeah, so it's it's interesting. When we launched, uh, when we moved into our first uh, warehouse, it was a tiny 200-square-meter warehouse. But our main business at the time was a very small website that we called dailydeals.com.au. And uh, the majority of our profits actually still came from uh, selling on eBay, the same products that we sold on Daily Deals. We actually spotted an American company called Wood at the time, back in 2005. Uh, Wood spelled W-O-O-T.com. Uh, and Wood was that first company that came up with that silly concept of selling one deal a day. And uh, mainly due to necessity, we found that we were unable to compete against a bunch of other players in the market that had about 5,000 products in their warehouse. And we only had about 100 products with no space, no people, and no real money to grow. But what we believed is that we have an amazing skill in buying. And in the early days, I do mention in the book that uh, I get asked the question, what made you successful in the early days? And uh, my answer was always, we are better buyers. And there's a common line in, in retail, and it says, you make your money when you buy the goods, not when you sell the goods. 
And uh, buying is a certain art. We discuss what makes a good buyer and uh, what you should do when you meet a new supplier, uh, etc. I'm not trying to sell the book, but the book is top of mind right now for me. By the way, 100% of profits go to, uh, go to a couple of Australian charities, etc. But uh, it certainly gives me a lot of uh, a great feeling hearing from uh, lots of entrepreneurs that, uh, that love our story and learn from our lessons of both uh, failure and success. And as I say that, I forgot what was your question, Yoni. <laughs> My question was like, what was the moment that said to you, right. we're moving to scale up mode? Yeah. Look, it, 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 it was gradual. I mean, in, in our early days, I remember clearly that our dream or our aim was to sell 60 products a day. And we did the maths that if we sell 60 products a day, we'll be able to pay our six, seven employees rent and take a, a salary home. We just needed the salary. We were running a small business. I don't believe the concept of startup or the whole word startup was, was in existence back in 2004, 5, 6. Uh, and the rest just happened. Uh, you know, the first deal sold uh, 13 products and our second sold 30. And in month uh, three, we're already selling 300 and 600 and 6,000 and so on. Some amazing deals from memory that I can, uh, you know, refer to your audience because they don't know our story. We sold things like 4,000 Toshiba laptops in, uh, in four hours. We sold a million dollars of Samsung televisions in one day. We're talking... 10,000 of a single unit in a single day. Uh, what we've created is, is, is a very viral concept that everyone in Australia was talking about, uh, relying on that FOMO element of fear of missing out, because quite often our deals would sell out within a day, four hours, and, and, and sometimes even within 20 minutes. Uh, but one thing that we always insisted on is making sure that we have an amazing product at a great price. It may not be relevant to you on Monday and Wednesday, but you'll find a great deal that will be relevant to you on Thursday. And uh, people talked uh, in the first five years in business, uh, Yoni, we haven't spent a single cent on marketing. Our marketing was very much people telling their friends word of mouth. <clears throat> There's nothing more powerful as well when mm. you, when you when you think through sort of business growth strategy, having that referral-based this, this, you know, this was the deal I got, or this was the opportunity that presented itself. You know, there's never anything more powerful than, you know, that testimonial word of mouth for sure. Um, so you said it happened gradually, you know, there wasn't any key defining moment and that, you know, you sort of went through it, but I mean, it's a very different mindset running a business, you know, selling on eBay, trying to convince people to come in and effectively, you know, sell you product to no physical store, which I'll tell you, by the way, Digital businesses still today have trouble lending directly from banks for growth capital. So there's a lot of room for all these players like Sellers Funding and 8Fig, which is an Israeli company and ClearBank and Cabbage, et cetera, that have stepped in because all this institutional money, they still haven't comprehended, you know, unless you have a brick and mortar store. So I'll tell you, people are still having issues today in the digital uh, economy to, to raise capital and to build in that growth capital. But Throughout the journey, the mindset clearly changes because, like I said, I have read parts of the book. And what I did see was that, you know, you moved into the point where you started acquiring new businesses. You started expanding. I believe a company invested, uh, you know, a fair bit of money for equity in one of the businesses. Surely at some point in your career throughout this journey to date, you know, something, you know, the, the penny dropped and 
it was a different game that you started to play. Like what was the first real opportunity when you think of we were growing something, now we're looking to acquire? What what was the what was the catalyst there or what was the opportunity that you saw? Actually haven't done many acquisitions, but the trajectory that happened is uh when we spotted uh, a, a group on launching, and that was uh, around January in uh, 2010. It's actually the, uh, the, at the start of the se- second chapter in our book, and the first line in the second chapter says, uh, great idea by midnight, executed by midday. We basically saw Groupon and thought to ourselves, wow, this is a really good idea. They actually do exactly the same that Catch does, uh, relying on the FOMO element, products, people. Uh, but instead of uh, products, they do it for services. I'm assuming your audience knows, uh, knows what Groupon is. For sure. What we've, what we've discovered through uh, the launch of uh, Scoopon, which I believe is a better brand than Groupon, by the way, in terms of a name, it is exactly what it is. It's a scoop on a coupon. Uh, so what we discovered with the launch of Scoopon is that we are able to take our existing audience, uh, team, uh, branding, and reputation, and be able to replicate it for a very small amount and launch new businesses. And over the period of 2010, 11, 12, we ended up doing it a number of times. We launched a business called uh, Grocery Run, uh, selling groceries online, dry groceries only. Would you believe that we were selling groceries online before Coles and Woolworths, Australia's, uh, you know, duopoly in, uh, in, in groceries? Uh, we ended up selling- I would believe uh, that. Yeah. And that was 2011. In 2011, we also launched a site called MumGo with the slogan, Where Mums Go. Uh, and that was also the year that we launched a site called Eat Now, which was the very early day food delivery concept that, uh, that I mentioned earlier. Uh, so we actually found that we are able to, uh, to build new businesses through this toolbox that we have built. The toolbox was great people, a great drive. Obviously, money that was generated through catch of the day was launched as the seed money for our, uh, for our next businesses. Uh, later on in our years, around 2007, 18, 18, we acquired a couple of companies for a very small amount, but uh, they weren't a major part of the story, Yoni. So, so you know, I, I want to lean into that a little bit because I think yeah. um, there's a concept that I forget the author that came up with it, but I believe it might be in good to great, the concept of the flywheel, building on your flywheel and actually starting, you know, at the start, it's very hard to turn. And as you start to build more value, more people, more opportunity, things tend to move a whole lot simpler. And so you've clearly identified uh, an audience or a capability to produce digital assets and, and leverage what you've built historically. Like what came into the strategy from, you know, MumGo to everything else that you're building and launching online here, Scoopon, et cetera. You know, was there was there a criteria? Was it just simply you came up with a great idea that you saw as a concept? You know, Groupon becomes Groupon. Like, what you know, what was what was the logic there? Look, I touched on the word FOMO a couple of times earlier when I discussed products, fear of missing out. I think the truth is, uh, Yoni, we are suffering from FOMO ourselves. And uh, in, in, in the early parts of the books, we mentioned that uh, our concept, we're not exactly original. And let's be honest, there's no original ideas anymore. It's about finding something that you see somewhere overseas and, uh, and, and, and bringing it to your locality 
Uh, we've been fortunate to live in Australia where everything swims very slowly until it gets here. Uh, and when you read uh, TechCrunch and Israeli media every day, we think that we were always uh, a little bit uh, a step ahead of, of the competition. So what we've done is we took uh, interesting ideas or concept that we spotted elsewhere, gave it the, uh, the Australian angle. Uh, but uh, as they say, there's so many people with great ideas out there, but it's really all about the execution. And uh, for example, Yoni, when we launched uh, Scoopon, everyone around the world has spotted the Groupon opportunity and uh, started building some form of a Groupon competitor or, or, or copy, let's say. In Australia, there were about 80 different players around uh, you know, late 2010 trying to do it. Uh, today, there's only two. It's only Scoopon and Groupon, even though the model has, uh, let's just say it's died. Uh, and why did we succeed? I think it's about the execution. It's those 1,000 decisions that you make every single day and the drive and effort that you put into it that really distinguishes you from, uh, you know, from the other party. Yeah, and, and to, that, to that point of why did you succeed, um, you know, in the book, and I actually love how you had Chezi writing about his position of what Gabby is like and vice versa, uh, which is, I thought was a really nice thing. Um, that you clearly paid uh, Chezi to write uh, the part about you. Yeah, yeah, $50. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> but, um, but, you know, when you think of the dynamic, you know, you guys as co-founders together, you clearly, you know, it's articulated in the book and I'm assuming people here likely haven't read the book, but what do you, what do you believe is the winning combination between the two of you and beyond that seen you guys have such wild success? You know, it's one thing to take a, a great idea, a concept that, has been done overseas, but you said it's all about execution. Yeah. What's worked for you guys? Look, a line I often use when I describe, uh, you know, partnership is uh, when you have two partners and they both think alike, then one of them is not required. And uh, for those that know myself and my brother, you, they, you'll just see two people that are, you know, opposites and uh, opposites attract in some way, but uh, opposite bring uh, different elements to, uh, to the party. Uh, you know, I mentioned that you can build a company on your own being a single CEO, but it's certainly uh, a lot more fun doing it with uh, someone else uh, for many reasons. Uh, reason number one, sharing the workload. When we discarded Scoopon, my brother literally left the building and started building Scoopon while I continued with the team to keep on building uh, Catch of the Day or Catch. I'm the product person. He enjoys the, uh, the early days of team building and uh, tech. He enjoys above-the-line marketing with Scoop, with uh, Facebook and Instagram, and I enjoy uh, above-the-line marketing with uh, television and radio. Uh, I'm a people's person. He's not a people's person. He'd rather spend time with the tech team. I'd, I'd rather spend time with the warehouse team, and so on. I'm just giving you a couple of examples of, uh, of how we did it. But one thing's for sure is because we're brothers, I think we have, we have complete trust in each other. And uh, trust that, the, uh, that all the decisions will be made uh, to suit the company and not the individual. And um, I don't know, the proof is in the pudding. It seems to have worked and we've done a lot together in the past. And we seem to be doing quite a bit right now as well, uh, from company buildings to, uh, to investments. Uh, if both of us agree, then we feel a lot more comfortable to jump in the water and, and do it. If one of us is hesitant, we most likely will not go ahead. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, just like the great Australian saying, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know, you guys have a winning combination here and having buy-in from both of you has 
historically worked, so why change it? So and by the way, we also fell together, you know, where there's a lot of regrets that we have together. Uh, and and uh, it, it is what it is. But uh, you can't cry about spilt milk when you're an entrepreneur. You have to have that uh, risk element gene. Uh, and I think both of us are very much risk takers and, uh, and, and, and I think uh, optimists. And it's just part of life. You're not going to win them all, but uh, you got to be in it to win it. Well, I, I think you also bring up an interesting point there around that appetite for risk and, you know, what it is to be an entrepreneur. Um, you know, I think one of the less talked about and more common things for entrepreneurs is the fact that you do go through a lot of failure. You know, things never look, you know, it's very easy for people to look in and say, great, look at Gabby and Hezi. They've had all this success. Everything's gone to plan. They've sold all these businesses. Everything's gone great. But like, what are, some of, what are some of the things that haven't gone to plan and what are some of the key lessons that you learned that you might have evolved into where you sit today? Okay, so you obviously haven't read the uh, two-thirds of the, of the book and I promise you there's a <laughs> lot of stories of failure uh, and, and we make ourselves look like complete schmucks in the book and we are very honest about it. Would you believe that the initial title suggestion for the book was uh, uh, two schmucks, three exits or something like that we ended up not using that title, but that's how we sometimes feel that we are, you know, just accidental tourists in this whole journey that, uh, that have certainly failed a lot along the way. And we still fail on, uh, on, on a regular basis. You know, if I tell you the companies that I missed on investing on in the last year or two, you're going to, you know, scratch your, uh, you scratch your head right now. Uh, some of our failures, uh, we mentioned uh, a couple of businesses that we invested in. One was Vinomofo, that is a, a wine business that uh, I would like to call a failure. We brought it into the business. We tried to build it for about a year and a half, but it failed. Uh, quick reasons as to why it failed. It happened around 2012, and we were doing too many things around that time. And Vinomofo was the least exciting one. Uh, add to that that both of us don't give a shit about wine or alcohol, and uh, it just didn't make sense to uh, to spend a lot of time on it when you have so many great businesses within your uh, within your building. In 2018, we acquired uh, a, a business that went into receivership, a New Zealand-based apparel business called Pumpkin Patch, a market leader in kids' apparel. Uh, we spent some money building it, brought it into the building from Australia. Long story short, it failed again. Quick reasons as to why it failed. Our catch of the day was all about buying end of lines and clearance of manufactured goods from local suppliers. Pumpkin patch required a completely different DNA uh, that involved uh, designing kids' clothing, going to China, dealing with factories, manufacturing them, dealing with things like seasonality and etc. And after about a year, a year and a half, we just said, this is not for us. And we ended up selling it to someone else. Some people might call it failure. I'm very happy that myself and most people in Israel just look at it as a lesson. It's a learning. Uh, we have learned a lot. And hopefully when the next uh, you know, opportunity presents itself, we'll be able to delve in into our range of lessons from the last decade or two and hopefully make the right decisions next time. Uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah, I'd be, I'd be pretty confident, uh, in those lessons that you've learned that you'll make good decisions. And, you know, we were talking about it, uh, last week when we <clears throat> connected, 
the reality is like once that once you're at that point in your career where you've had such great success across a multitude of businesses you know you're you're put in a seat where you can add intrinsic value to the companies you support whether it's from a financial investment or simply leveraging your network or you know physically having you as an advisor to the business i mean there's a million different ways in which you can now add value on a level that you know you once couldn't but while you were going through this process um and as someone who's running two businesses concurrently and you know we're building technology in the background as well i'd say one of the more challenging things is how do you divide your attention how do you actually stay the course and stay focused i mean how did you solve for for that problem like what was what was your team structures? What was the way in which you allocated, you know, ownership and leadership across the businesses? I mean, how big, how big was Catch when you sold it? When we sold it, it was about 500 employees, revenues of about uh, 600 Aussie dollars, 600 million uh, Aussie dollars. Um, yeah, running both an office and a warehouse. Uh, the title of the book is uh, 200 plus lessons. The last lesson in the book, which you obviously haven't got to yet, Yoni, because you're a slow reader. Uh, <laughs> I've spent too much time in Israel, mate. I'm reading in Hebrew now. Right. You know, you didn't it print is, it in Hebrew. We actually mentioned we have saved the last lesson till the end. And the last lesson in the book is as follows. It's all about the people. And throughout the book, we mentioned about 15 or so employees. We've worked with a thousand employees, but we mentioned about 15 employees that deserve the credit. Because even though Gabi and Hezi are the face and the founders of the business and the largest share owners, but we could not have done it without the support of those amazing people. Uh, throughout the process of writing the book, I actually found a name for these kind of people. We normally used to call them the people with the catch DNA, people that worked like us, etc. I found it a tremendous name for it. And the name is Intrapreneurs not entrepreneurs with an E, but entrepreneurs with an I. And these are people that come to work every single day. They may not own the business, uh, but they treat the business as if it is their own. So to answer your question without elaborating too much, I think that we are experts at surrounding ourselves with smart people. And when I say smart people, I'm saying smarter people than myself, because I should not be the smartest person in finance, nor should I be the smartest in IT, logistics, customer service, or any of the divisions of the business. The job of the founders is to hire an amazing CEO, give them all the tools and the freedom to be able to drive those amazing entrepreneurs uh, and uh, stick your nose where you want to. But I can tell you over the last few years in business, myself and Rob Ida really didn't do much. We were the, uh, the uh, might be the ideas and strategy uh, and the drivers of it, but we didn't delve in into anything. And, uh, and, and we loved it like that. So a lot of the credit goes to the people that we surround ourselves with. And I'm really happy to say that we had a tremendous team and tremendous team culture that we can talk about for hours. Well, I mean, I'd love to actually dive into that for a little bit um, because I think, and I'm a big believer of this too. You're only as good as the, the people that you surround yourself with. And, I'll never take credit for anything that we're doing internally and externally because it's the team. They're the ones who are actually driving forward and creating the value. You're just one, one very small aspect of bringing it all together. What yep. sort of strategies did you have? Uh, and, you know, I read in the book about, you know, people, you were, you were the guy that people wanted to work with. Uh, you were the guy that people gravitated towards. Now, 
was there any particular strategy that you had in place to attract the right people? Did you have a hiring process or anything that really sort of drove bringing in these entrepreneurs as you define them, which I like the term? So it's interesting, uh, Yoni, I've only ever worked in one or two businesses. I've never actually worked for a large company myself, nor have I ever uh, written a resume or sat in an interview. So everything that happened to us happened by, you can call it by learning. What is the single ingredients of, uh, what's the glue I think you're asking of -hmm. of holding it all together? Uh, I, I think it's just being a mensch and lead by example. Uh, two things that really Judaism uh, stands for in so many ways, you know. Uh, and I think we're just nice guys. We treat people well. We work hard. When the boss works hard, everyone else around them works hard. And, uh, and, and, and they go home and, and feeling that they're part of their they're own mission, uh, doing something special. Uh, and by the way, the same thing applies to the way that you treat suppliers, because suppliers is the lifeblood of any business. Uh, if I'm unable to build relationship with suppliers and buy great products, I, w- I would have been unable to sell them onto the consumers. Uh, and suppliers generally have a choice as to who they want to sell the stock to. You know, They can sell it to so many different companies, but uh, they will most likely sell it to the person that they like the most and, and build some sort of a, a, a relationship with. So... Life is about relationships. I'm I'm the first person to say that I'm not a tech guy, I'm not a legal guy, and I'm not a finance guy. But if anything, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm a people's person. And uh, it's it's one of the key to successes of of many of the Israeli, uh, you know, startups and and, and unicorns that are are popping everywhere. Uh, There there is something about, you know, the Israeli uh, warmth uh, and and, and relationship building. And I'm sure you see it every day on the streets of Tel Aviv. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, you know, living here and, you know, I don't know if I told you, but when I moved here, I was supposed to visit. I came for a few months after I'd lived in the US and by day two in Tel Aviv, I just said I was 30 at the time. And I just said, why would I ever leave this place? And it's now nearly five years on, you know, it's an amazing, it's like a, you know, I grew up in Australia and I love my childhood friends. You know, we both attended the same school. I was also at Mount Scopus. And I love them to death, but there's just something about the warmth here of your friends. They would literally die for you, you know, a month into knowing you. And I think it's something unique about the culture here that breeds that uh, love and commitment and sort of, um, you know, collaboration. Okay. I'm looking forward to doing a face-to-face podcast uh, number two. Absolutely. Absolutely. In Tel Aviv. 100%. 100%. Well, mate, we'll lock you in for that. But so before I let you go, before I let you go, mate, because uh, um, you've, you've added a lot of value and given a lot of knowledge again to people who, you know, who are considering uh, stepping off on their own, you know, you're someone who didn't take the traditional breaking free of the corporate shackles approach and, you know, trying to undo, you know, a lot of the corporate learning that I think uh, is definitely rife in, in, in the US, uh, maybe a little different in, in Australia and definitely uh, doesn't, <laughs> hasn't really existed here in Israel uh, to a big degree. What's some of the tips you'd give to someone looking to really start out and ju- start that entrepreneurial journey? Look, my daughter just turned uh, 18 this week and she's uh, looking to come to do, uh, to do Mechina and we were researching it this week and I told her, wow, I wish I was 18 again, you know, 
and I'll give you the same answer when it comes to uh, startups. Of course, we were pioneers in the early days, but I think that there is no better time to launch a digital business than 2021, 22. Uh, for, uh, for all the obvious reasons. The world has completely changed. Uh, the path to any digital disruptor is, is, is wide open and everyone realizes that uh, the world is digital, very different to the obstacles that you know, me and you have to go to where uh, no one wanted to do business with, uh, with, with us. My, 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 my general advice is uh, the same as Nike, you know, just, just do it. Don't wait. <laughs> Don't wait for perfection. There's no such thing as perfection. Launch your business, and I promise you that it will keep evolving. You will not launch it at the optimum uh, you know, position. Launch it, keep evolving it, see what the market says. Uh, there's so many ideas that require disruption these days, and it's just amazing to see so many 18-year-olds from Israel just going for it, um, You know, mixing smarts and chutzpah. And, uh, you know, and building uh, the next big unicorn. And, uh, you know, as, as an Israeli, it makes me very, very proud. For sure. I think we're moving into a stage where, you know, the book Startup Nation is actually in the past and it's moving into the reality of Scale Up Nation. Just Absolutely. seeing what's happened. Gabi, thank you so much for taking the time and jumping on the podcast. Excited for you to come here for us to do this face to face. And, uh, mate, it's, uh, it's been a pleasure. So, Thank you.